Okay, we're live. Alright, so this is another episode of the UX Ramp podcast. I was going to add the video version. Obviously, I still upload it. But today, I'm actually having to record off my iPhone. So for anybody listening to this in audio-only format, it might not sound that great. But anyway, let's get into it. So this is the User Experience, or UX Ramp podcast, where every week, I'm going to come through, have a beer, talk about what's been going on in UX for this particular week, things like what articles are interesting or or are, uh, I don't know, how would you say, controversial, sweet stuff in design, UX design, UX research, as well as front-end development, because I'm really into actually not just doing the research and design part of user experience, but actually developing it. I really like front-end development. But a little bit about me, so I and if you haven't heard the UX Ramp podcast before, my name is Blake Arnsdorf. I'm a UX designer and developer in beautiful San Diego, California. And I run a little YouTube channel called Don't Panic UX, uh, where I break down different, different aspects of user experience, answer Reddit questions, that kind of stuff. But anyway, so I'm here to talk about what is going on this week in UX. But before we get started... I'm going to actually pour myself a little brew. So I can't, I don't know if you can see this. I'll tell you, for those of you listening, I'm having some of the Strawberry Sour from Little Miss Brewing. San Diego is well known for its awesome amount of breweries, and I live really close to so many of them. All right. So, again, Little Miss Brewing this week. I'm not sponsored by any of these people. I just really like them. Um, Like supporting local businesses, that kind of stuff. But anyway, for sip. Oh, it's delicious. Okay, so let's get into a couple articles that were pretty big for me this week. And there was two kind of really, or one really big topic covered by a bunch of different people. Um, but one article that I read was, when does user experience beco- become evil? If I'm messing up the title, don't worry. I'll put it in my show notes on SoundCloud as well as leave it in the description below for YouTube. But anyway, this was by a girl called named Kelsey Bones. And I think it said this was her thesis or dissertation on user experience, which I thought was epic anyway. But it was basically going through the throes of when user experience becomes evil. And then another article came out that was similar, or in the similar vein, right, by a guy named Joe. And Joe, if I mess your last name up, I am so sorry. But again, I'll leave all that, all this kind of stuff in the description of both, of both shows. But anyway, so I think his name is Joe Khalifa, uh, but he was talking a lot about this place that designers are in now because it's become very obvious through like the proliferation of UX and design thinking of big companies like IBM and across Silicon Valley that you know if you have a designer help you up front and do user testing and research, you make better products and your users are more satisfied. You get more people using your products, whether they're web, whether they're app or physical. But the thing now that's happened is we see designers getting themselves this seat at the table, the seat in the C-suite table, right, where you have a lot of influence. But in Joe Khalifa's article, it was talking a lot about how designers are move, have moved or are moving away from really being that, u- that user advocate to now focusing and shifting to company needs and that really being who they're focusing on. They're not so much being the user advocate anymore they're really focusing on okay is this going to make the company more money are we going to be able to like get this product out on out ahead of schedule so that even if it's not that great of an experience for people like there's kind of this dichotomy of we all people in 
user experience design or human factors. Like we want that seat to the table, right? But we still have to find that really, really keen balance between, you know, what am I really supporting what users need? Am I providing them a product that gives them a lot of value? Or am I only focused on the amount of money that's going in my pocket? And now I know you, I can already hear it now or see it, see it on Twitter. Like, what are you talking about, man? There's a fine balance. And I totally agree. There's nothing truer than there should be a balance between meeting user needs, meeting team needs, and meeting actual company needs. But it, I think Joe's point, or at least this is why I took away from his point or his article was, the real problem is, is now we have this seat at the table. We have to make sure that we're sticking to the user-centered design. Like we're really being advocates for users, still having those those tough conversations with upper-level stakeholders about like, hey, like I understand this iteration of our product will make us more money and we can release it quicker and it looks good for our bottom line. But in the long term, are we really providing the best value? for our user base or are we going to even reach a new customer segment that we have that's untapped because we won't explore it i just think there's a really deep need for designers to remember kind of the roots right you used to only be in meetings or from my experience in meetings with developers where it was like fighting tooth and nail to get some of these changes made or against adding too many features or really like getting people understand like you had collected data based on people using the product. We need to make changes based off of that. Um, so now off to kind of like Kelsey bones article on this, which was really insightful, super, it was pretty long. And I, for the first time ever, like the 20 minute marker was completely right on medium, but I really enjoy the 20 minute read. Usually I'm just kind of like, Okay, this is really long. You don't need to write a book on Medium. But hers was really good. Maybe it's because I have a science background, so I got stoked on the fact that it was somebody's like dissertation around you user experience. That's nuts to me still. But anyway, so her whole bit was like there's a lot there's a lot of talk about dark patterns in UX, right? So using using what you know about your users and what we know about human psychology to kind of hack their their experience or make people want to come back. Uh, Nick and I on another podcast that I do called human factors cast. We talk about this a lot in relation to video games. So kind of really jumping in and using loot boxes and that whole kind of gambling aspect of video games, especially like online multiplayer games where you get like a lot of in game rewards and stuff like that for reinforcing paying for content and getting stuff out of it and creating like kind of an attic, like a gambling attic for video games. Well, this I think this happens across a lot of different platforms. Like even, I know if, maybe a few months ago now, I wanted to say a couple of weeks ago, but uh, one of the ex-VPs from Facebook even came out and said, like, I don't, I don't know if we should have created what we created. And I think the, the point is, is a lot of like social media is really... It's not just the fact that it's so accessible, you have it on your smartphone all the time, but it's it's getting notifications and uh, just looking through the UI itself and seeing all these different interactions, you get like this social hit 
we're like, hey, I get to interact with a lot more people that I might not have gotten to interact with before. But now we're you're getting some of the neurochemistry in there. Like you get a little bit of a dopamine hit every time you refresh your Twitter feed or Instagram feed or Facebook. Like it's a it can be a very dangerous and slippery slope, especially with the worries about being addicted to technology and where do you like kind of draw the line for it. And Kelsey Bones Bones' article awesome last name. Kelsey Bones' article really hit on the fact that when we when you start out as a designer, especially like out of school or if you're self-taught or whatever's going on, you jump into the field and you're really excited about like collecting data, talking to users, designing stuff based off of what you're learning um, from the user segment or about your product and how you can roll it all together and create this awesome cohesive experience. But over time, you start as you grow in your career, you really start to feel these throws of like the, the, the facts that you don't really get in school. There's a development schedule. If, if you're in like an early stage startup, if you don't meet deadlines, you don't have a product, you don't have a company and you can, you can easily be out of a job that way. Um, sometimes it's hard to convince stakeholders when you're fresh out of school, if you don't have a whole lot of experience uh, communicating with these people or understanding what they value. So now you're doing a bunch of work. You know it's good. You know you're applying whatever you learned in school or through the internet or wherever, but you're unsure how to communicate it effectively. So you, you go through this process of growing over time where you focus a lot more, you end up focusing a lot more on business needs and how do I, manipulate might be the wrong word, but how do I use this person's personality to my best advantage to get what I need from this product. And then if you're very successful, you can see yourself growing in the company, getting better pay, you know, be getting all these kind of like accolades and things like that. And you sometimes lose sight of what you started being a user experience designer or working in human factors or just doing design for, which was enhancing people's ability to experience products. And this one I like to liken a lot to, uh, I gotta take a sip because mouth is dry from me running my mouth. But anyway, this is one I like to liken to accessibility, which for anybody who doesn't know, if you're like new to user experience or web design, any of that kind of stuff, accessibility is basically making products uh, available, trying not to use accessibility in the definition, but making products more available to a wider range of people. In a lot of cases, this really hits on um, people with disabilities, whether it's visual impairments like low vision or if it's uh, like if you're if you happen to have like a uh, I was going to say a sound impairment. That doesn't sound right. But I feel like if you have lower levels of hearing or you're deaf, like you're going to experience a product in a completely different way. And there's a lot of tools from like a code side that really allow you to kind of bake that into some of your web experiences like alt tags on images or you can have screen readers that actually read read things to you or there's there's integrations with braille machines to help people actually you know be able to read your web page your content and still consume it and be a part of it um, and this this kind of leads into the fact that when you start really only focusing on the money lots of things start to fall to the wayside it's not only your customer base maybe that's like not having the best best experience or things aren't very clear or well designed um 
but you're also now, you could possibly be excluding an entire population of people. And in some cases, yeah, you're, you're targeting a market. I, I get that you're in it for make it. You want your business to be successful. You want to be successful as a designer. I want to do that. But at the same time, you need to really hone and keep hold of your values of being a user advocate across different different types of users or even some that might be secondary to your like your primary user group um so again i'll leave all this stuff like in show notes and on in the youtube description but kelsey bones article on um when user experience design becomes evil is really good i'll also leave uh joe khalifa's i hope that's his how you say his name i'll leave a link to his article in the notes as well uh, so that's kind of like it for the two articles that I really thought were impactful to me this week. Um, there are a lot more. And if you read some and would like to share them or I'd even talk about it next week on the show. But anyway, like hit me up on Twitter at don't panic UX. There's no apostrophe because it doesn't really work in usernames. But yeah, just hit me up on Twitter. Don't panic UX. Share the article. I'd love to talk about it with you. Um, but anyway, so I'm kind of changing the format of this a little bit. I mean, we're adding some local craft beer into this. Might as well get crazy, right? But I'm going to try and hit on a bunch of stuff that's going on in UX that I think is particularly interesting. A lot of it's interesting to me. But at some point, I'll I'll have guests on here and we can banter about it. But I'm going to kind of cut the show into three sections. So section one will be all about design. Uh, Section two is like big things going on in research um, or just general topics about user experience research and then the last section i'm gonna have is called uh, front end just front end development because development something i'm really interested in i actually moved my career from being a human factors scientist and analyst um to moving into the more of the user experience design space because i really loved designing um this is maybe this is kind of lame but i was always really into art and graphics and photography when I was in school and I went on to like grad school and became became an analyst and saw how you can really apply a lot of the methodology used in human factors to um, and obviously informing design but I liked n- taking that information that research uh, that interaction with users and stakeholders and actually translating it into real designs because that's where I found that I had the most fun was just either making mock-ups, taking it back to users, being like, no, this is totally wrong. We have to fix the workflow. Like, I really loved that integration. And as I kind of came up in some of my other jobs, um, I realized that part of my frustration with some of the jobs that I was in, which every job has its good and its bad, but part of what I got frustrated with on a lot of the work that I had done previously was doing all of the upfront work. So meeting with users and stakeholders to develop requirements and to really understand like, how is the system going to be used? Who's going to use this? Do we have access to those users? How quickly can we get some of these early stage designs in there before our development team starts tackling this thing and we can't undo what we've already like hard coded. Um, And a lot of times, a lot more often than not, I always found myself, one kind of disconnected in some of the development uh, conversations that I was having because I I couldn't understand like how some of the frameworks worked or what was really truly possible in JavaScript and CSS versus what wasn't. Um, And then at the same time, so you would, I'd have those conversations and be kind of at the end of it disarmed because there's nothing, I can't 
really argue that oh we just can't do that we don't have the bandwidth for it well, is there like uh is there a medium solution we could go for and often we would run i'd run into just like no it's not really um so i kind of got tired of only doing the upfront kind of research work and not being able to create anything from it beyond the mock-up because there were so many times on a lot of projects that um we'd be working as a team like we'd have test events and whatnot and even the communication of the data wasn't enough to make a lot of design changes now sometimes they just weren't possible based on timeline but more often i just really really wanted to see some of the stuff come to life and then i got really uh interested in responsive design because i had a i had to work with a a great designer one of my companies and she was really really uh she just like d- created such awesome products with using sketch and all that all that kind of stuff which we didn't see a lot of um in the industry I was working in and so her and I were able to jive a lot and really talk about like okay this is where the design is. This is the technologies that we have we could use to push it forward. And we actually gave a big presentation on responsive web design and how to implement Flexbox into pages. And uh, I've heard that she's gone on to talk about, which we'll talk about in a little while, like implementing CSS Grid in some pages or in some technologies. So I really got into development because I wanted to not just design and talk to users, but I wanted to build the thing that we were talking about designing, or at least help. Uh, so I've, I've done a lot more like freelance work, um, and I'm really interested in a lot of kind of the fitness startup space, because I think it's a great opportunity to kind of be able to run the full gamut, because most of the times you don't want one person doing all the things. Um, it's good to have somebody who's capable of it, but anyway. So going into design, so like I said, I was... I'm not, I wasn't traditionally trained by in like graphic design or visual design. Nothing, none of that kind of stuff is much more be me being self-taught, but one of my UX mentors actually quick plug. So if you are starting out in UX, you're in the middle of your career, you've been in your career a while, you probably already know about this, but if you, if you don't, you should really give joining a user experience organization like either through meetup or like uh, worldwide ones like uxpa so user experience professionals association uh look for chapters in your city because they're really helpful they give you a lot of access to people you might not have had otherwise like give you access to some mentors or you can you know become a director within the organization and kind of help it help it grow and flourish and grow your UX community. But one of my mentors from UXPA in Los Angeles is a big proponent of kind of bringing people in and helping you grow. Um, and she actually introduced me to Envision. So I, I, uh, I was kind of hesitant about using Envision because I was like, well, I already know how to prototype really well using just HTML and CSS and a little bit of JavaScript to kind of give me any of that leeway that I want for interactivity. Um, But a lot of clients that I was picking up for just doing quick freelance design, they really, they wanted it in Sketch or they wanted it in Photoshop. And so I I came to her and I was like, I'm really frustrated. I can't build as interactive of prototypes with just Sketch and Photoshop. And of course she introduced me to Envision, which I know is kind of silly because it's so big now. I mean, even with Envision Studio coming out. But I have really fallen in love with Envision. 
<laughs> it is probably my favorite bar none design tool because, and again, I am not affiliated with Envision. I don't even know anybody that works there. Um, I just like the product. Uh, if I didn't, I would tell you that too. If I didn't like our product, I would just tell you because I don't have anything to gain or lose. Um, but anyway, so yeah, I really like Envision's uh, product for quick prototyping. Sorry about that. For quick prototyping and also too, you can use it kind of ground up. So one of my favorite ways to start a project, especially in the freelance space, because uh, often you're, you're walking into potentially an industry you've never been a part of or never worked in. So what I like to do is do a competitive analysis. And in one of the last projects I was working on was for some bigger financial companies. And uh, they were looking into developing or what makes the best kind of ad campaign sites, these like miniature sites that people build. So I was able to actually collect all the sites from their competitors as well as the ones they were using, put them in an Envision board, and then I could talk my stakeholders through on the web and make notes at the same time about what was going on in each one of these different spaces. And you could actually, you know, highlight bits from like, oh, this is a really good one. Let's 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 circle this feature and make a comment that we want to use it for later. So that that's an awesome, awesome thing because I get really... I get anxious, not anxious, but I don't like handing over giant spreadsheets of just my thoughts and design work and like checking out different websites and comparing them. I really like to give people more like visual things because of course you don't just like hand over your competitive analysis spreadsheet and say, holler. No, you always want to like give them a brief or whatever, but it was nice to be able to walk through with stakeholders, like not only the spreadsheet and give them some explanation and include like a high level brief of what they actually really needed to know from the work that I'd done. But we were able to talk through what's going on in some of these designs based on traffic, what's really working and what's not. Um, and funny enough, like from traffic analysis, I was able to figure out that, Hey, you guys really should be using Google analytics seeing as it's a little, it's more accurate than what they had currently been paying a lot of money to use. Um, so it was, it was a really great way to just interact with stakeholders and when i got hired this company was a little little weary of me being in san diego because they were located far away and i was like hey i'm available and i've got the tools to help you kind of understand what i'm doing and see where we are in the process so i mean it made everything work and then when you get down to it i love the integration now i'm sure there might be one if there's not somebody want to build a plugin with me holler at me <laughs> but I I don't know if there's a plug-in between Photoshop and Envision, but there certainly is a plug-in called, I think it's called Craft for Envision and Sketch. And that was the sickest thing ever because I was able to just, you know, mock up all my ideas, um, whether it was like quick wireframes or more polished mock-ups later down in the road and just get them up. And I could design the interactions within Sketch and sometimes like find out like, oh, that doesn't really make any sense. This gets a little weird if we're having a customer leave this site without telling them something or if we're not presenting the right information above the fold. Like it really gave me an interactive experience with 
working with my own prototypes and finding kinks before I uploaded them. And then once I uploaded them, I just gave my stakeholders all the access they wanted so they could just review it as they needed to and give me comments. And it didn't matter if I was on the same time zone or what time that they wanted to like get in contact with me. They'd just leave me a note. I'd get back to them as soon as I saw it. And it was a great way to collaborate. Um, I think that's a really big thing in, in user experience design is being able to collaborate definitely cross-functionally. And I know there's a couple of couple of awesome plugins on Git that I've seen that are like integrating with Sketch and then creating um, code-based versions of your of your prototypes. And that that stuff's just blowing my mind. I've been trying to like give some help on there too. But the integration with uh, with Envision is just so cool i can't i can't even get over it and i'm seeing all this stuff on twitter especially from like uh what's his name uh dan petty so at d-a-n-n-p-e-t-t-y yeah awesome guy um don't know him just like his content uh but yeah he's been showing some like screenshots of uh envision studio and i i just can't even wait till that's released to the public like i don't even if it even if it costs like a whole bunch of money up front, I'll, uh, I at least just want to try it because it looks like from like the Instagram content and their YouTube, uh, it's just going to be a pristine design tool. And if something can just be all in one place, that would be awesome. Although, like, I really love some of Adobe's products, like for this stuff, like Premiere and After Effects, but um, it would make the workflow really easy if for all my user experience designs, I could just go get it in Vision Studio and just whoop get that stuff out but anyway so that's really all i've got for the design section just wanted to pimp out envision and say how awesome it is if you guys know of any other design tools that you really like or ways to make quick interactive prototypes i'd love to hear about it um because it's like it's it's always good to learn new tools and try and stay on what top on top of what's out there all right so let's let's talk a little bit about user experience research so I saw this article this week, and this is this is one of those that I wish I had somebody to banter with me on here. I'm looking for a co-host. If anybody's interested, don't panic UX. But anyway, uh, so I saw an article earlier this week all about, like, do you really need user experience research? And it wasn't so much about, like, should we do it? Because I think it's become quite obvious to a lot of people that you should do UX research. But what wasn't so obvious is should you have them in-house or should I be hiring people as contractors to come in and basically, you know, be my, um, be my UX researcher uh, full-time and do companies really need that? And it was, a, it was kind of an interesting takedown on it. Um, gave a lot of good advice. And again, I can't remember who wrote it. I think it was a collection of people from alistapart.com. But anyway, so what I really thought was cool was that they were including how much it depended on your business's growth and where you were, and also how many products you had, what you had going on. I mean, because the the research is definitely needed, right? Because you you want you want to understand your user population. But let's say I'm I'm in an early stage startup or an early stage small business. And I've got this idea, but all I really have is the market research. Um, and something's gotta get out the door so I can start learning. I mean, in those instances, okay, if you don't have a user researcher on deck, I think that's fine. 
Um, it'd be good if you're whoever your user or experience person is, if it's a designer only. Um, that's the distinction I actually want to make. When I think of user experience designer, I don't think of it as a separate thing from design and research. I know there's a lot of people that do have good reasons for it, but this is my personal opinion, right? I think that a user experience designer has to be both, or I like being both. I like being a part of gathering research and understanding what's going on in the climate of marketing and the user base. And then I like tr translating all that stuff to, uh, that's no good. So it might be a good idea just to pull in a user researcher on a consultancy basis if you're like really early in the business and you just don't have that access to users or any real good information about your user base. If you just have kind of, there's a marketplace for my product, I think this will work. I've got enough, enough telling me from the market research that this will at least have some impact. There'll be some users, but I just can't get enough people. Um, and, and sometimes you just, in a startup world, you just have to get that product out. So it makes a lot of sense. But I think as your company grows and as time goes on, especially if you're in bigger corporations, having user experience researchers or just like solely only people doing research is a great asset. Because you can keep on top of, especially if you've got these multiple product lines, For again, talking in bigger companies, you're able to really keep an eye on across different products. Like, okay, we've got a new thing coming in here, but the data says that this, these changes to some of these features either don't make sense or these are the best things ever. Can we get them released quicker? Um, I just, I think having researchers always on tap like that gives you a better ability to have people like focused on specific aspects of products, but also give you insight into, Hey, what's going on with what we're releasing? How's our process working? Um, how, what, what other analytics should we be adding into our, um, into our repertoire, right? Uh, is, is like measuring just bounce rate, giving us enough information or should we do something else. Also having user researchers kind of like really dive into the analytics you're using already across maybe your app or your websites will help you understand like maybe we need to bring users in and start doing a small test because we're having a problem and the data is not telling us enough. We actually need to have people like butts in seats working through a workflow to really see what's going on. Like, I think it's important to have those, those people there, but I just thought it was an interesting article because I think, I think across the kind of tech space, you know, that user experience research is definitely really important. Um, but it's kind of a, when do I implement it is really the question. I mean, I would say from the get go is great. Um, or if you can employ, employ designers who are also researchers as well, to at least give you a starting point. And then if you, as you see the ROI on those kind of people or the return on investment of the research they're doing and the insights they're bringing, maybe then it's time to really expand and, okay, let's just go get a researcher or two and let's start like letting them have a little bit of space and let's maybe get some user testing going on, those kind of things. I think it's a great way for your company to grow. Um, yeah, so that's all I got on user research this week. Uh, so la last part of the show, maybe my favorite part of the show, is uh, the, we're talking about front-end development, right? So CSS Grid has gotten a lot of attention as being, as being released as a new technology, a new way 
of kind of creating responsive websites or adding to the adding to the Flexbox model of responsive web design. And there is a lot of content out there on how to get better and its utilities and ways to understand it. Um, one great resource that I'm just going to plug here. Again, I don't really know him, but I love his his uh, web development content videos. Um, it's very much worth it. But Wes Boss, so at W-E-S-B-O-S on Twitter, has just released a CSS Grid um, course, and it's for free. It's like 25 hours of content or 25 lessons on CSS Grid for free. Uh, he makes it a lot of fun. Like I've, I'm, I really like Code Academy's pro intensive courses. Um, but this guy makes the content so much fun cause it's just video based. You can like stop it, pause it, you can download it and watch it on offline, whatever. But it really gave me a good introduction to the CSS grid world and how, how to use this, those tools in CSS, like creating grids and how it's different a little bit from bootstrap and what it can be used for its advantages and disadvantages and also how you can integrate and use together with flip flexbox is it's just a really really good course um i, I don't know i can't recommend it enough i know it's going to be a newer technology so it's not necessarily going to be released across all browsers for everybody right now but i don't know i try and keep ahead and keep learning and i think it's a great when it comes to responsive web design i feel like it's really important not for like user experience designers to have to be able to do it, but understand how the technology works. Um, just so when you're making, when you're designing products or designing websites, you know that when you give it to a client or your team, that it actually will work in the framework they're trying to build it in. Because just like Bootstrap kind of took off, and some more of the you know responsive web design frameworks took off. Like this eventually will be a gold standard. I have a feeling so. Understanding just how it works will help you kind of know what you can or can't do when it comes to making designs and how it's going to affect your, the responsiveness of your website. So, again, check out West Boss's course. It's free. I recommend it to front-end developers, uh, user researchers, user experience designers. I think under, understanding the technology and being able to talk about it and know how it impacts your design and your user base is just as important as being able to actually do it. Um, so that's kind of, that's it on my front-end web development portion of the show. I just like to shout out some cool technology. Hopefully I'll be, I'm actually going to put that in my don'tpanicux.com website because uh, it's just, I think it's a, it's a fun technology to fool around with and it makes some cool responsive designs. All right, so... I think this is how I'm going to end the show every week, and it's going to be all about my experience of the week. So this can be anything from an app, a physical device, a place a place I go and it's just like an awesome experience, anything like that. Anything that is like tailoring some kind of experience or has obviously been worked in and designed for. And this week is all about customer experience. So... I'm a big fan of Joe Rogan. I listened to too much of him for too long. But anyway, for like the past few years, I've been hearing him talk about how great and useful jujitsu was, not for just the martial arts and the physical aspect, but for problem solving and, you know, not for him necessarily like anxiety relief, um, but just overall a good thing to do. Now, when I think of martial arts or jiu-jitsu, and especially when you're talking about, like, the guy who commentates for MMA, it's kind of 
it's kind of scary to go in an MMA gym. Or at least that's how I always felt. But I finally decided 2018's here. It's time to at least try it. So I did. There's a gym that's actually right up the street. It's called Alliance Academy, I think. Um, but anyway, it's definitely called Alliance. And I called up, made an appointment to like come in for one of the gym sessions. And they actually were super nice. Uh, set up a, a private instruction for 30 minutes prior to the actual workout session. So that I could learn some basic moves, some of the warm-ups, all that kind of stuff. But so right off the bat, great experience, great customer service. Like, hey, cool, please come in. We're really excited to have you. We're going to have you train with this guy 30 minutes before, and then we'll have your role in this session. It'll be totally fun, and it's free. So, of course, the day finally comes, and I am just freaking out, nervous as all can be. Because I've never gone to an MMA gym um, I'm not an athlete by any means. It's just something that I'd heard on my favorite podcast and was like, this is going to be really good for me. Cause I do love to like exercise. And this is a totally different thing that I've never done before. So I managed to even get out of the car and into the door. And it was a totally different vibe than I would have ever expected. Like everything was pristine, clean. Like you had these just it's kind of weird to say it, but like these beautiful glistening white walls. Um, the gym is super tiny. There's like a gym on the right hand side. There's a reception desk and couches you can chill on when you get in. All the mats are clean. It, and everybody, everybody was super nice and super stoked to have new people in the gym. So like that was from trainers, the reception desk, but also... And I think this is truly what made the experience so great is rolling with people that were like black belts in jujitsu. They were super nice, super encouraging to come back, keep trying, uh, <laughs> don't be discouraged by today, like that kind of stuff. And it was just, it was an awesome feeling, like something that I was so scared of, nervous about doing, um, turned out to be probably one of my favorite physical activities I've ever done. And I immediately signed up for the gym. Um, but anyway, so that's just like a lesson about maybe for gym owners in general, I don't know, but customer experience is such a powerful thing here. Like just from the way your store looks to the way people are received when they come in, uh, to how training sessions go to how you, you know, bring them up to speed with the stuff that they need to know to be able to work out in your gym. Like I had awesome trainer named JJ. He he was super patient with me, and obviously, since I had had no jujitsu, it was pretty brutal. Uh, but it was a great time, and like I do, I don't know had I I don't know what it would have been like had I gone to a different gym. Like it was a an excellent experience from customer point of view, from the way everything looked to the way everything felt to the people that were there, um, both staff and just uh, regular jujitsu guys. Like it was awesome experience. So jujitsu was the experience of the week for me. All right, guys, I think that is all for me today. If you liked this video or podcast, please subscribe, leave me a review if you'd like. I would really love to hear from you. You can always get at me on Twitter at don't panic UX. That's at don't panic UX. And since today is a lovely Friday, we've had a little bit of beer. We're going to hop on and do a little hour or two of some Twitch streaming. I'm a big video game fan and I love talking user experience about video games. So we're going to get on there. 
hashtag healthy young gamer. So come check me out on Twitch if you feel like it. I hope you have a fantastic Friday. Don't forget, next week, UX Ramp Podcast.